Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Episode 75. Today we are starting a new series inspired by Advent and the Incarnation. (laughs) Hello, Father. Hello, daughter. It's an interesting combination. Advent and the Incarnation. Yeah, well, and I'm going to throw us for another loop because I'm going to have you start us in Genesis, and it's just going to be great. Um, But first, today's icebreaker. Um, Tis the season for putting up Christmas lights. What color or colors do you prefer? I am a multicolor guy for the most part. I can appreciate white, blue. I also like it when people have like their trees wrapped in the, uh, but it bothers me when they put the LED green on the bottom because green should be where the leaves are, in my opinion. I'm like, put the red on the bottom, put the green on the top. Right. So, but anyway. (laughs) You're, you are very artistic, actually. Um, (laughs) And yes. People might not know that about you. You 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 can do a nice. There sketch. was a time my mom was uh, an artist. Yes, I agree. When I was a child, I loved multicolor lights, and I, I I kind of thought white lights were boring. But then, as I grew up, and and mom loves white lights, and um, I came to really appreciate them. And now I feel like as long as they are done well. I like them both probably equally. I like I like white and multicolored. And it's also fun when people just have, you know, I know mom likes the the blue lights on a silver tree or things like that. Oh, sure. Or a white yeah. tree. Well, and some of it is age. I mean, I, I don't think I saw anything but multicolored lights so I was in my 20s. Uh-huh. So it was just a, a thing. Yeah. yeah. But we like them. Awesome. Well, um, I've been praying about how to close this year. We've gone through so much. Uh, we started with resilience and we've done a lot of joy and um, relational skills type stuff this year with brain science and bounce. Um, we've done a lot of um, also identity and authority and and spiritual warfare sort of stuff. And, you know, we've, we're coming right into Advent season. And so I couldn't get Advent out of my mind. I just thought, oh, I would love to do Advent. But then I also just kept thinking about the incarnation and one and uh, I don't know how to describe this. I, I was thinking about Genesis. I was thinking about Isaiah. I was thinking about the Gospels, and it was all just kind of coming together to where I'm like, Dad, will you will you walk us through Genesis one and your forming and filling? And I promise we have a reason for it. And so I'm actually going to ask you that question in just a moment. But I wanted to pull back and actually start with what even is Advent and why do we care? Because I think some traditions really value it and some traditions don't. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll, I'll start with that question. <laughs> All right. So I grew up in a tradition that I didn't even know there was such a thing as Advent, you know, for most of my life. It was, uh, we were two generations removed from Mennonite. It was, uh, um, and they were anti anything to do with the state church right mm. that sort of thing so um what happened but i began to realize once i became a pastor and i and you deal with the inevitable materialization of christmas and just uh, and then i discovered advent and i realized oh you know there is this tradition that's really ancient in christian circles of taking these four weeks 
and using them to meditate and gathering the family. And so we started doing uh, the Advent wreath and candles at our church, even though it was a non-denominational church, and having different people share, uh, you know, Christmas readings and uh, family stories. And then at some point along the way, I decided to write a little deeper walk guide to Advent, partly with the idea like this is an awesome opportunity to get regrounded in the incarnation because that's really what Christmas is all about is the incarnation. And once you start getting grounded in the incarnation, you realize you're getting grounded in all of Christianity. Like this <laughs> is the foundation, this is the foundational stuff on which the whole faith is based. Um and so I would talk to pastors all the time who are like, I'm running out of Christmas material. I don't know what to, you know, preach on. I do this every year. It's hard to come up with another series and I'm like, go back to the basics of the faith, man. You know, this is an opportunity to you know, reset those foundations for people. And so that's kind of what I, I look at it as somebody who is sort of an outsider to Advent, but appreciates the uh, what it brings in terms of helping us just get our, our minds and hearts in the right place to gather people for the right reasons and to reflect on the foundations of the faith. And it's also a tradition that is is easy to make multi-generational and to to do as a family. Um, yeah, it's it's very robust and and wonderful. I I'm glad that you <laughs> brought it in. And yes, there is so so for the next couple episodes, as we will explore some Advent themes and we're gonna look at in, incarnation and preparation. Um, but we're not necessarily going to just walk you through Okay, and here's how you're going to light tonight's candle, and you know we're, yeah, we're not going to. Yeah, no, we're not going to walk you through. But like, there is, yeah, is, as he mentioned, yeah. But he, but there is, as he mentioned, the Deeper Walk Guide to Advent at um, the Deeper Walk Bookstore, and then you also have done at least one webinar on this topic. That if you just go to uh, the, to the Deeper Walk, webinars, yeah, yeah. deeperwalkinternational.org is our website, and then you just search for Advent. Our Advent things will come up for you. So, um, yeah. So I honestly. Here's kind of how I was thinking about. We'll see how the conversation unfolds, but as I was contemplating the topic, I was thinking about incarnation in two ways, this idea of forming and filling, um and also this picture of God walking with us. And just that that's pretty key to deeper walk is we often talk about how we walk with God, but I also want to look at it from how he walks with us. And then the idea of preparation I think we see both, you know, from the very beginning in Genesis all the way through uh, in, into the Gospels, we see how God has been preparing us for His coming and and for life. And we also see how um, we can prepare for Him and His, His coming. And so I want to touch on all of those things as we go. And I guess I'm going to come back and ask you that question. Genesis 1. Yeah, Genesis 1. So, you know, it's interesting as a former Old Testament, you know, instructor and uh, adjunct faculty and all that. I, um, uh, most of the times I heard Genesis 1 taught, honestly, it was just an excuse to talk about young earth versus old earth and evolution and, mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that. And, and, People did what I call, there's a way of where you use the text as a window to the event underneath it, and then you talk about the event. Um, and when I try to, when I taught people regularly how to study the Bible, one of the things I would tell them is that's not actually what the Bible's there for. It's not there to be a window to an event that you go and unpack and exegete that event. The Bible tells a story for a reason, 
and we're supposed to exegete the text and ask and ask ourselves the question more about when it comes to creation in Genesis 1, not what clues does he give us to the creation story itself, which is a fine discussion. Mm-hmm. But the main question we have to ask is, why did he tell us this information and not some other information? Why include this and not include the stuff that we're so curious about, right? We all want to know answers to important questions like, did Adam have a belly button? Right? <laughs> we, 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 the Bible doesn't tell us these very important things, right? So, um, But we all want to know all kinds of questions about the beginning of the world that are left out. So you ask, why are these in here? And then the second is, why are they put in this order? Why are they arranged this way? So it has to do with selection and arrangement. So why is this selected? Why is something else omitted? Why are these things arranged the way that they are? And now what that does is it leads us to the author's intended message. So if you hear that closely, author's A, intended, I, message, M. You get you get the word aim, and it, it just is sitting there waiting for us to claim this acrostic, saying, <laughs> let's take aim on the text. Right. By uh, analyzing selection and arrangement to get at the author's intended message. I just I just need to pause right here because it's a perfect opportunity. If you are excited about this Bible study method, there is also a booklet at the Deeper Walk Bookstore, the Bible, the three to one Bible study method that explains it. And also you have an e-course. Dad dad did an e-course that you can find. Um, We love talking about the Bible. So if you want more Bible study tools, there's a quick there you go there's a quick pitch all right so genesis 3 genesis 2 genesis 1 this is genesis 1 we're on okay Mm -hmm. so genesis 1 doesn't read the way you would expect for a creation story so one of the things um you notice right away is that there is a unformed planet that is dark it is covered with water and it is specifically said in Hebrew to be tohu vabohu, which is formless and empty. And the only other time that phrase tohu vabohu is used in the Old Testament is in Jeremiah when he's talking about the devastation wreaked on the land by an invading Babylonian army and how the whole place was left formless and empty. It was just tohu vabohu. And so what we get at the idea um, of the creation account is that on day one, it's kind of this picture of of God or Jesus, if you will, standing on the planet Earth in a formless, empty state, dark, covered with water, and beginning the process of redemption and not just creation, because there's a planet there. So he's redeeming this planet. So from a, again, just a text standpoint and a literary standpoint of what the author is doing, his emphasis isn't on the origin of the universe and you know and, and things like this is it, it is specifically the creation of this garden planet and and so as you walk from dark and underwater formless and empty it doesn't take much imagination to realize that a lot of people would describe their lives that way hmm. you know that a lot of people feel like my life is dark my life is empty i feel like it's lacking shape and direction you know i even feel like i'm drowning in underwater but it says the spirit of God is hovering there. He's close. And so the broken heart, in this case, he's close to the broken planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's hovering there. And God is going to take the whole planet on this six-day transformational journey. And then he rests. 
And one of the things, like even, you know, if you go to, you know, the is the Bible Project kind of cartoon little videos on, mm-hmm. on the internet, their, theirs on Genesis 1 is actually quite good and walks through some of the same things I'm going to uh, walk through today. And one of the points they emphasize is that um, there's a concluding statement, and it was good, and it was good with each thing. But then you get to the last day, the seventh day, and it's a place of rest, and it's as if God is now inviting anybody who wants to to enter into that rest with him. It's sort of like the seventh day stands as an invitation. So what what happens in Genesis 1 is this redemption story in which a broken, dark planet is transformed into a place that is good, it is blessed, and it is a place at rest, and a place specifically where we can enter into God's rest with him. And so there's a quick overview of where Genesis 1 goes and why it's so uh, significant for the whole ideas of emotional healing. And it also gets going to lay a good foundation for the rest of where we want to go. Yeah. So let's go there. Um, Can you you start connecting some of those Genesis 1 principles to the Christmas story? Yes. So when you get to forming and... uh, Forming and filling, let me first just walk through that the first three days of creation have to do with forming what was formless, mm-hmm. and the next three days have to do with filling what was empty. And so forming, you get light, you get sea and sky, and you get land. And those have to do with separation, you know, separating the light from the darkness, separating sky from sea, separating land from water. And then, so separation creates categories and it creates form, forms. And so even the, the plants reproduce after their kinds. And God is giving order to things. He's giving shape to things. He says, there's a purpose for this. And then he starts filling it. And he starts filling it, you know, lights is parallel to light. And there are fish and there are birds parallel to the sea and the sky. And there are animals and human, you know, to fill the land. And with all of this, what we see is God's ultimate purpose for the world mm-hmm. is that he is creating this beautiful home where he can live with, with his people. And he wants us to live with him in this place of rest, in this place of beauty. And the Christmas story wouldn't be needed if it wasn't for what happens after this, and that is the fall of man and the exile from the garden and the fact that we've lost all of this. And so the uh, connection to the Christmas story on the front side is simply Genesis 1 helps us understand why there is this deep longing inside all of us for something more, for something eternal, for something good, for something at rest, for, for peace, for blessing, right? There's a deep longing that every human being has, regardless of whether they're Christian or not, and it harkens back to our, our origin. And now the... Uh, the incarnation then in Christmas has to do with what the lengths God was willing to go to, to make sure that his original purpose for creation was fulfilled and that people had this opportunity to enter into a walk with him in which they could experience what was good, what was blessed, and what was at rest. Amen. How hopeful. How hopeful. <laughs> yes. Yes. As I, was, as I was processing through this, I just kept thinking, yes, this is a story of hope. This is... A redemption story. And um, can you speak a little bit more to the incarnation itself? The incarnation, I see it through Old Testament all the way into the New Testament. Can you um, substantiate that? <laughs> well, yeah. So the word incarnation means to embody something, to put it in a body. And so what we have in Genesis 2, the very next thing is the description of how God 
kind of gets down on his hands and knees, forms stuff out of the dirt, creates a body, and breathes his life into it. And there is, from the very beginning, God is associating himself with humanity. He says, it's going to be my life that is living in these people. And the very idea of breath, we even talk about from your first breath to your last breath. And there is this idea that uh, ashes to ashes, and we're going to go back to dust. And so everything about uh, the creation account itself lends the idea that God made us unique. We're not like the angels who have some other kind of body that we can't quite describe. He made us out of the earth, and he made us to be connected to the earth. And as in our redemption, and to redeem his purpose for creation, to redeem his purpose and desire of wanting to be with us, what incarnation shows is the lengths he was willing to go to is that he he said, I'm going to take on a dirt suit, if you will. Mm. I'm going to let myself be encased and embodied in this, you know, human body I made out of dirt. And, and it's just the most humbling thing that you can imagine. It's also mind boggling. It's really almost impossible to wrap your head around the idea of an infinite God being wrapped in the limitations of a human body. But it shows us the extent he was you know, not just willing to go to, but that he did go to. And then he not only did that, he didn't just show up and say, well, here I am now, worship me. You know, he came as a servant. He came among those who were poor. Uh, and he made himself a servant to all. Uh, he modeled what the father is like. So nobody has to wonder about it anymore. Like, I wonder what God's really like. Well, look at Jesus and you'll mm -hmm. get a pretty good idea. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, and then to humble himself to death and even death on a cross, and you realize you know, it is impossible to miss how trustworthy God is, right? how loving he is. Uh, and this, Paul says, how can somebody who gave us all of this, not with him, freely give us all things, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Now, you've been thinking about this a bit as you're getting ready, so I'm curious, too, what your, uh, how you connect creation and incarnation, and where are some so places you see the connection? I think I see so much how God is with us from the, you know, like Jesus being born into a human body is, is the ultimate example of incarnation, but all the way through the old Testament, he is with us, you know, build me a tent, you know, build me a, I'm, I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm guiding you. You have literally people walking with him in Genesis. Um, and then just also his care for the real world issues. It, it, the Bible is not just like some metaphysical, you know, oh, sync with this, this un sync with this understanding that you're gonna have to meditate on really hard to understand because there's nothing connected to yeah. the real world in it. You know, like it it he everything it's is, not platonic it's like hey yeah. you're in a cave and these are all shadows so don't worry about it you know yeah it, and i mean there are mysteries there are things that we can't understand and they are addressed in the bible but there is so much incarnational wisdom i guess i would say in in throughout the scriptures where you see him yeah. caring about the physical needs of people in working through the physical hands and feet of people and sometimes even himself and yeah you could sort of you know, as you could, could sort of put it this way, you can summarize the entire theology of the Bible with one preposition, right? And that's with, mm -hmm. right? The whole 
all of Christian theology, all of biblical theology comes down to the word with, and it is that God wanted to be with us. Mm-hmm. And he created a world where he could be with us. And he created us with bodies and in his image in a way where we could be with him. And and then we see that theme continue on as he, uh, even in his pain of having to exile the people that he wanted to be with, he's like, well, I'm going to launch this whole strategy you know, mm-hmm. through the promise and through the covenants and through the election of the people of Israel and through all that we're doing here to bring the the intended blessing I've always wanted to people so that we can be with each other. Mm-hmm. And you think about what salvation is all about in the New Testament. Salvation is about restoring our ability to be with God. And so you you the tabernacle is especially embodies mm-hmm. this. And so in John chapter one, verse 14, it says the word became flesh and lived with us in a sense, lived among us. And the I purpose of the tabernacle was also this idea that God wanted to be with his people. He wanted to be at the center of his people. And so the tabernacle was right at the center of the whole camp. And so John doesn't use just any Greek word in 114, as you well know. The uh, he uses the Greek word skene from or skenao from uh to the idea is to tent with somebody. But it's not just any tent. He's not like, let's go camping together. He's mm-hmm. like, it's a direct reference back to the tabernacle tent. And saying that Jesus came to be with us so that we could be with him. And so you can just unpack this and unpack this and unpack this. But where it really comes down to is that uh, the incarnation is about God wanting to be with us and the lengths he would go to so that we could be with him. And creation itself is about God's whole preparation for this one overarching desire that he wanted to be with us and us with him. Huzzah. All right, more next week. I'm just going to take a moment to thank the listener who submitted a book recommendation to me via the On the Trail mailbox form. Listen to this. The meaning and translation of Edu and Ide. Behold, a construction grammar analysis by Nicholas A. Bailey. Just saying that title brings a smile to my face. <laughs> um, and I, I have not read it yet, but I love that you caught my mention of the grammar of behold and sent that my way. It delights me and I hope I can get to it. It sounds awesome. And so, yeah, while we're talking Greek, there, uh, is there any other technical nerds? I want to buy an emu and name it Edu. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, any, yeah, any closing thoughts for this episode? As we wrap up this time, it's good. And we enter into the Advent season. It's, it's a four week journey where we have the opportunity to set aside time specifically to reflect on the incarnation, on this idea that the word became flesh and lived among us. And that the core, usually in many traditions, the first concept here has to do with repentance right now they might call it hope they might call it something else but what they're really talking about is let's start preparing our hearts and let's start asking god to show us is there something in my life that is keeping me from being with you and the way that you want to be with me and let's ask god what uh, is there something of which i need to repent because that thing is getting in the way of us being together in a way that would be good for both of us and so as we're wrapping this up, I would just uh, encourage people to uh, that that Advent almost universally starts with this idea of repent because there's hope mm-hmm. and because uh, God wants to be with us. Thank you for that word.
And thank you everyone for joining us on the trail today. Deeper Walk exists to make heart-focused discipleship the norm for Christians everywhere. If you'd like to support this cause, you can become a Deeper Walk Trailblazer with your monthly donation of $25 or more. And if you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the On the Trail podcast, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week. Thank you.